Hey, Piers. It's Michelle. I've got some exciting news. The Piers Project has just produced a podcast for Bryony Kennedy, the CEO of award-winning Australian cosmetics brand, Adorn Cosmetics. If you've ever needed a compass to navigating the different areas of your life, then this podcast, Beauty, Business and Babies, is for you. In this fortnightly series, Bryony shares the tears and triumphs that come with navigating the tensions between the pivotal areas in a woman's life and assures women everywhere that they're not alone in feeling like a mess. So make sure to tune in now to Beauty, Business and Babies by Adorn Cosmetics on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or just head straight to the link in this episode's description. Now let's get into this episode. This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Kidanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. I know it's tempting to act like we have all the answers, but swallowing our pride and admitting, I don't know, can actually be the key to our success. No one knows this better than today's phenomenal guest, Julie Hirsch. Julie is an absolute star. She's the co-founder and COO of Elements Organic Vitamin T, and she was also named Victoria's Telstra Businesswoman of the Year for 2020. Today, Julie and I deep dive into how we can leverage our shortcomings to achieve success, how we can get clear on our mission, and how we can ditch our egos in order to thrive. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, here is my conversation with the amazing Julie Hirsch. Julie, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me on. It's really exciting to be on. Awesome. Cool. So, you know, you and I connected recently over LinkedIn and when I looked into you and all of the phenomenal stuff you're doing in the business space um, and in entrepreneurship, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Of course. I mean, we're all in isolation at the moment with COVID, so it's really nice to chat to someone (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I'm the co-founder and COO of Elements Natural Vitamin T. We are the world's first 100% natural vitamin T on the market. 
We launched about 12 months ago, and it's been a pretty crazy 12 months. Uh, we ended up getting into Woolworth supermarkets, so we're in the TIL at Woolies. We also launched in Holland and Barrett, which is a chain in the UK, and Ocado, um, which is also in the UK. Yeah, and uh, I was really lucky a couple of weeks ago to win the um, Telstra Business Woman of the Year for Victoria, which is pretty unbelievable. <laughs> so amazing. So amazing. No, I love it. And I cannot wait to, you know, dive deeper into the business in your last 12 months. But before we do, I'd like to start with a question, which I often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? So I actually grew up in California in a beachside town in um, SoCal. So moving to Australia with its, you know, nature and its beautiful beaches was very comfortable for me. After high school, I went to university in Boston and then began my career in the for-purpose sector, um, mostly working in the environmental causes. And a couple of years ago, I became really concerned about how climate change was impacting farmers, especially in developing countries. And a good friend of mine, um, Nicole Lamond, who also happened to be one of the founding board members of Fairtrade Australia, around the same time had this crazy idea for an innovative and ethical new tea business. Yeah, and three years later, here we are with uh, the world's first natural vitamin tea. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. I mean, I just know, I just love it. I mean, it's so cool to hear kind of where the founder grew up and, and what that was like for them. And I think I want to dive a bit deeper into that time there. So you said you grew up in California, beaches, all that kind of stuff, small town. What do you think, you know, what was that time like for you? And, and you know, talk to us a little bit about, Julie, the early years. So I like to describe Manhattan Beach where I grew up as story rich because there were so many stories and so many just incredible people in the town. You know, we did a lot of surfing, not that I was ever very good at it. It was in Los Angeles County, so you did have that sort of big city feel, but still in a beach town. And I think that coming out of that area, the thing that really has stuck with me is I went to a really large high school. There were about 900 kids in my graduating class, I think. It's a very, very large school. And one of the great things about that is it taught you how to step back when someone else had um, knowledge or information that you were interested in, and also how to step forward when you wanted. So having the teacher know your name in such a large class was half the battle. And really learning how to be in that sink or swim environment meant that a lot of things, especially going to a large university directly after that, I had some preparation for. Yeah. Yeah. So fascinating. I think it's interesting, isn't it? What the high school days and I guess, yeah, for you, it was, it was literally that. It was, well, I've got to stand out somehow. So, you know, and let's put my hand up. Hopefully my teacher knows my name. You know, transitioning then to Boston Uni when you're at college, you know, what was, what was that time like for you? Was, did you feel like the transition wasn't as bad because you'd kind of been already at like a big high school? Talk to us about, you know, your, your college days. Well, Boston University was a lot of fun. Uh, so Boston is a great college town. It's really beautiful. Uh, a lot of pre-war architecture. And it's a really big school. So again, you have that same opportunity to step up or step back, which I think 
even in my business career, has been brought through because you have the ability to step back in a situation where someone else has the expertise. You're not always having to put yourself forward as the expert in situations. But also, when you do feel like you have something to contribute, you've learned how to raise your hand, how to step up, and have your ideas heard. So Boston University was great. I met my partner there, picked him up at a bar, and uh, (laughs) (laughs) we've been together for eight years since. Um, And honestly, he's a huge contributor to where I am now. Um, He's always been incredibly supportive and uh, really believed in me, especially in the moments when I didn't. So uh, that, I think, coming out of Boston University is, is just as great as the education I got there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't say. No, that's that's amazing. I think, you know, we often don't know who we're going to stumble across, what opportunities are going to come about or what people are going to walk into our lives. And I just think... Yeah, I guess, you know, I just think it's like grabbing those opportunities where we can. You know, talk to us a little bit about your mindset during those like college days. You know, you said that, you know, it's it's still that same thing of knowing when to lean in and when not to. But I guess, what did you notice about yourself or what was one of the key things you learned about yourself when you were at college? So in college was actually one of the first times when I started something. Uh, So my close friend, Sony, and I, Uh, had both entered Boston University at the same time. And at that time, they had talked about having an entertainment business focus, which never actually eventuated. And I'd coming, you know, from coming out of Los Angeles, I'd actually interned in the entertainment industry and was really interested in that at the time. So Sony and I decided to start a record label. And we started something called Reputations Records which was hilarious and fun. And we actually ended up with um, some really great bands that we helped represent (laughs) on Boston University campus who have gone on to be gold and platinum. And it was such a great experience of learning that you can start something, that it does take a lot of work, that it is a lot of fun, and that if you've got great people around you, it makes the journey so worthwhile. And I know that that ran for a number of years after we left Boston University. I have no idea if it's still running or not, but it's certainly an experience that I look back on with a lot of fondness. That's so great. I think, you know, some of those years, those college years are so defining, I find, you know, it we get to know so much about ourselves because we have that space to breathe and actually think, okay, wow, what do I want to do? You know, when you were finishing up and graduating and all of that, you know, I saw that you went, I think it was to North Carolina and you were, you were part of a grassroots campaign in the 2012 US elections. You know, talk to us about kind of that transition there. And, you know, you'd already started something in college and, and then you went on to kind of lead a, a big team, I think it was, during that campaign. Talk Talk to us about, yeah, that time, that time for you. I was 22 at the time and just coming out of university. And for some reason, someone thought I was capable of running a voter (laughs) registration office in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. And so they gave me three days notice to move all of my stuff down there and open up an office of 35 canvassers. And I am so grateful that I did it because it was really jumping in feet first. And I was so passionate about the work that we were doing. We were specifically there to help register minority and low socioeconomic voters 
who tend to have less resources allocated to making sure that they can register to vote. And of course, in the U.S. elections, you have to be registered to vote to actually cast your vote. So it's really important for the whole system of democracy that we have equal representation in voter registration. So I went down there at 22, opened the office, uh, ran that for a number of months, and it proved to me that I could, I could put the work behind what I wanted to do. We were working just crazy hours. You know, you would get up at 7 a.m., or sorry, 6 a.m., be at the office by 7 a.m., not leave until 9, 10, 11 at night, get up and do the same thing six days a week. And that, as the start of my career, basically made it so that nothing I did afterwards was ever as hard as that experience. Um, I have so much respect for campaigners and canvassers. They really put the hard yards in. So I think having that in my tool belt, um, knowing that I can put that amount of work in, was really important when I went to start the business because I knew how much hard work it was going to take and I'd done it before and I knew I was willing to do it again. Amazing. How can we seek out those kind of once in a lifetime or kind of out there opportunities for ourselves? Well, I think in that opportunity, it's also worth noting that I was being paid a horrendous salary, just, you know, very, very low wages. But I really wanted the experience and I was really passionate about the cause. There is privilege in that, that I was able to take a low salary and not have people that I had to support in my life. But I think, you know, it's, it's about putting your hand up. I had no idea whether I could actually run a voter registration office, but when they said, oh, there's this opportunity, I was the first one to say, I'll give it a crack. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) I love that. Why not? I mean, you know, I think think the issue is though, you know, so many of us, we're so scared. We're just scared to put our hand. I mean, it's scary to put your hand up and go, hey, you know, I'll, I'll be the one that's going to do it, especially when we're in our early 20s, mid 20s, even, even when we hit our 30s, you know, a new opportunity can sometimes be really scary for us. You know, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening around gaining the confidence or perhaps the courage to chase after what we want and go after what we want? In all seriousness, I think one of the most important things I've learned on my journey is actually about failure. I've learned that there will be a hundred successes and a hundred failures in any startup journey and really in any new experience. And it's really only from the outside that someone decides to label you a success or a failure. And often there's very little bearing on what's actually happening internally when someone applies those labels. The irony of our current society is that I've found my failures are oftentimes more useful than my successful moments because I've learned so much more from them. And there's this weird trick that I do sometimes when I get really overwhelmed that I think about the worst thing that could possibly happen. Like, I imagine and put myself in a situation where I think, what does absolute and utter failure look like? And would I still be okay? And usually the answer is yes. 
Uh, We spend so much time worrying about not succeeding at something. But if you actually think about what's the worst case scenario and could you get up again after that, a lot of times the answer is actually yes, and it's not that scary. Yeah, so, I mean, ignorance is always bliss when you're looking at a new venture or a new opportunity. I think there would be a lot fewer new businesses if people knew what actually went on behind the scenes and what they were going to go through. But you learn so much throughout the whole experience. And I think you also learn that your successes and your failures do not make you a success or a failure except in what you view yourself as. Oh, just so well said. I love it. Okay, so I want to dive a bit deeper into your move to Oz. So, you know, talk to us about that time there. I think it was in, I'm going to get it wrong, but maybe 2016, maybe it was a bit earlier, that you decided to come down over here and and live here. You know, what drove you to do that? What was that decision-making process like? And what did you do as soon as you got here? So that partner who I picked up at a bar in Boston (laughs) um, is... Australian. He's originally from Melbourne. Ah, And we had lived for a number of years in the States and decided to try Australia. Um, So I moved here without ever having been here before, not knowing a soul besides him, but really excited for the adventure. I'd heard a lot, especially about Melbourne and how it was such a cultural hub and such a hub of innovation and ideas. So I was really excited to get here. Within three weeks of moving here, I actually met my future business partner. I went to an open writers group, as you do when you don't know anyone, and met Nicole. And we really bonded over writing, both being professional businesswomen, and we struck up a friendship that lasted, has lasted for eight years now. And um, we started the business together three years ago. So, you know, as you said, those those connections that you make um, and really being open to the universe introducing you to the right people at the right times, I think is is really so wonderful and beautiful. So incredible. Look, I, I really want to dive into the business and how that all unfolded, but I just want to understand a little bit more around. So what did you do prior to starting the company? You were here for a couple of years and then talk to us about that. So as I said, my career had always been in the for-purpose sector. So working in election politics in the US, and then I moved into more of the environment sector. So before starting the company, um, I was actually deputy director at the Australian Youth Climate Coalition, which is a fantastic organization, one of the largest climate change organizations in Australia. And they just do brilliant work on climate change education and helping young people to take action to protect their future. So that was such a positive experience. And I just have so much love for that organization. I'm currently on their board of directors as secretary. And yeah, so I I was there for a number of years. And then more and more, I started to think about how climate change and development work were really interrelated, but it wasn't really being talked about between the two sectors and how much business had a, a role to play in all of that. And around that time is when I started talking to Nicole about her new business idea that she had and things sort of fell into place. 
I love that. It's just, it's, it's funny, isn't it? When we look back, it's like, oh, it all makes sense. Like how it unfolded. I feel like in the moment, it's often, it may feel messy. It might feel like, what am I even doing? You know, I mean, even for me, like I've had opportunities where I've, I've gone to live somewhere for a period of six to eight months and I've thought, what am I even doing here? But then things start to unfold in a way that you, you might not expect. I guess what advice would you give to our peers out there listening around having some faith in, in the universe or whatever you want to call it around, around things just working out? Well, I think it's all about how you use your experiences. For me, I've always tried to view either failures or experiences that have been quite negative as learning opportunities. And even if you can't draw learnings from the experience itself, just learning how to stand up again after being you know, punched in the face by your dreams is a really great skill to have. And when you look back in hindsight, it's it's easy to see how all of those things fit together. You know, I went from politics to climate change to owning tea businesses. That's not necessarily a very cohesive career path, but all of those things added up to where I am today. And I would not be where I am today without all of those varied experiences. So yeah, I think it's, it can feel really overwhelming in the moment and hard to see where you're going. But for me personally, I think having faith that you will end up where you're meant to be has been very um, satisfying to think about. I couldn't agree more. Amazing. So let's talk about the tea businesses. <laughs> okay, amazing. So it was in 2016, I think it was, you know, you mentioned that you had that conversation with your now co-founder around understanding what her idea was for these tea businesses. Talk to us about what were the first few steps that you both did to get this business off the ground? So my friend Nicole had uh, a background in tea through fair trade. And she had the idea to infuse fair trade teas with fruit and herbal extracts that have naturally occurring vitamins. But no one had done it before. And there were a number of manufacturing challenges that she was facing in launching a product like this. So originally, she came to me and and kind of asked if I would be interested in coming on this venture with her. And I actually at first turned her down. You know, I was leaving the NGO space. I had fallen into consulting for some organizations. And I thought that was going to be the path for me. But after a couple months of doing that, I realized that actually the sweet spot where I really enjoy being is that that sort of butter scraped over too much bread. Um, And I wasn't getting that from consulting. So I sat with it for a number of months and then I went back to her and said, I'm actually really excited about the impact that we could have as a fair trade company and the innovation that we would be able to bring to market. And honestly, I thought it was going to be, you know, a good, fun thing to do that would keep me busy. And it certainly has. And um, so I went back to her and said I was in, and that launched us into two years of research and development before we finally launched the product about a year ago. Amazing. Talk to us about that research and development phase. You know, I think so many of us get 
almost caught up by the beautiful end product and the thing that we see on the shelves and whatnot. And, and we forget, or we may not know how intense the journey, you know, um, has been. Talk to us about the early challenges you faced in those two years. We wanted to create a world first product. There were a few synthetic vitamin teas on the market, and there's very little research into the difference between synthetic vitamins versus natural vitamins. But personally, we didn't feel right about putting synthetic nutrients into our bodies, and we really wanted nutrients that came from fruit and herbal extracts. So we went into two years of research and development. As I said, there were immense manufacturing challenges working with natural nutrients. And we actually ended up coming out with a patent-pending manufacturing method, uh, which is quite odd for a two-person business. But I think why we were able to keep going during those two years is we simply got really good at not taking no as an answer. There were so many times when people said to us, you can't do this. And we would respond with, okay, we can't do it that way. What's our next step? What's another way that we could do it? Because we really didn't want to compromise on our core values of the product, which were natural, organic, fair trade, no binders, no fillers. And I think because we took so much time and we were so committed to the end product that we wanted, that when we actually did launch, people could tell that there was so much care that had gone into this product that it really hit the ground running. Amazing. I think I want to, like, it's it's just phenomenal to hear. I just think, you know, the constant getting back up when you, when people say no, or when you fall down, you know, I think two years is a long, it sounds kind of short, but it's a long time to be in the, you know, in the early stages where people are saying, no, no, you can't do it. You know, you kind of alluded to this before, but what are some like practical strategies we can use to, I guess, build up that armor a little bit and, and, and that self-belief when we keep getting told no. I actually think one of my greatest skills in business is hassling people with a smile. If I look at my day, that is what I spend most of my time doing is talk, talking to experts who have information that I don't have and um, understanding that ego in those situations is only going to hurt you and not help you at all. And so really going in with honesty and wholeheartedness and asking for help uh, when you need it. And when you need someone to think outside the box and come with you on your big journey, having a mission is critical because you can always bring it back to your mission. For us, our mission is to move the world to a living wage for all workers. And it's so much easier to not take no when you are thinking of your mission rather than just thinking of yourself. So for me, I think it comes back to mission and it comes back to really being open and honest when you don't know something and when you need help. How can we get clear on our mission? That's a really interesting question. For me, the mission started the business rather than the business started the mission. We were always very committed to bringing fair trade tea to market. In Australia, only 3% of tea sales are fair trade certified. 
it's really low and honestly a huge opportunity because we know that consumers care about ethics. We know that they care about sustainability and yet that's not really represented in the TIL at the moment. But we also didn't want to use ethics as our unique selling proposition. And that's very important, I think, because I, I find it really sad when I hear companies say that being ethical or being sustainable is their unique selling proposition. Essentially, you're assuming that your competitors will always be unethical or always be carbon intensive. So for us, we wanted to use ethics as a baseline that really any new product should be starting from and then make sure it was also innovative and also healthy and also delicious. I think there's always room for improvement, but we started with the, um, the mission of the business and built from there. Yeah, I think so many of us can get caught up with what we think business is and, and what we, when we see brands out there, we think, oh, maybe they're this, maybe they're that. And, and knowing that most of the time the good ones have a really strong kind of core and mission behind them. And that, and as you said, it's people can feel it. And, you know, no wonder when you launch to market it, everyone went nuts and your last 12 months has been phenomenal. So talk to us about that experience there. You know, you've now launched and you're in every newspaper publication, you know, you're on most the shelves of some of the biggest, you know, supermarkets in the country and across the world. Talk to us about what that was like for you and, and yeah, your last 12 months. I think getting the Woolworths commitment was an absolute game changer for us. They really backed us as a female-founded, fair-trade, and Melbourne-based company. And they were willing to really work with us to make sure that our product fit on their shelves. So we've been on shelf now for almost a year. We've got a new product launching next month, which I'm so excited about because it's actually my favorite blend we've ever done. It's called Bourbon Vanilla Chai. Bourbon Vanilla is a type of vanilla from Madagascar. So we've blended that with chai spices from Sri Lanka and, of course, our nine vitamins and minerals from our fruit extracts. And yeah, that's that's rolling out next month amid trying to get it into the country with COVID-19. So, you know, cross your fingers for me. Yeah, I think, I think it really came down to a passion for our product and being able to bring people on that journey with us. You know, we, the buyer at Woolworths, Uh, His name was Mark, and we just, we told him about the product at three different meetings, and he just saw how excited we were about it and how excited potential customers were about it, and so he was willing to take a risk on us, and I think that's where it really all started for us, because we wouldn't have been able to then get Holland and Barrett without Woolworths. We wouldn't have been able to launch so big in Australia with those Uh, with media being interested in talking about us without Woolworths. So it actually came down to really a couple people, yeah, being willing to take a risk and back a company that they believed in. Oh, I love it. And it's just so well-deserved. I mean, you know, over the last, as you said, three years now, you've been in this 
business, this whirlwind that is business, you know, and you've fought for every kind of win that you've you've had. And it's so cool to see, you know, you were recently, as you mentioned earlier, listed on the you were, you won the Vic Telstra Business Woman of the Year Award this year. You were also listed on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list for Asia. And you were also named as Melbourne's Young Entrepreneur of the Year in the food and beverage category by Business News Australia. Just absolutely awesome to see, Julie. And I think, you know, I want to take a moment as we start to wrap up to just acknowledge you for the phenomenal work that you've done and that you're doing for showing us, you know, and particularly us young females that we we can do it. You know, if we've got that, if we persist, if we've got that dream that we really want, you know, as long as we go after it and don't stop, whenever people say no, we'll be fine. So we really appreciate you for that. Oh, that's very kind of you. Thank you. It's, it's quite hard to believe that, you know, those things describe me. When Nicole and I started the business, she actually asked me what my BHAG was my big, hairy, audacious goal. And I said to be on the Forbes 30 under 30 list, never thinking it would really be possible. And I think with those awards and those lists, you tend to think if I'm on those, then I will be this certain type of person or I will have achieved these certain things. And you get there and you sort of realize, oh, well, I'm still me. You know, I still burn every dinner I try and cook and drink too much coffee and too much tea and Uh, Don't go to yoga as much as I should. But I also think taking some of the glamour and the shine away from those awards and the people who have them, I actually think makes it so much more achievable for other people because, you know, you don't have to be perfect or put together all the time or never have failed at anything in your life. Like you can really be the... um, the mess that you are and still do some pretty cool things. So yeah, I hope, I hope that's, you know, not a very dignified message, but the the message that I do want to share. Mm. No, and I love it. I think that's why we love having people like yourself on the show. And I I mean, you know, after we're past a hundred episodes at the moment. Congratulations. And, and, you know, when you sit down, thank you. It's, it's been a journey, <laughs> but you know, when you sit down and you just unpack the businesses and the stories, you really start to realize that, hang on, this person is just like a normal person. And I think that's what's so refreshing about you and your story as with, you know, so many others, you know, which is just that, it's just real, it's raw, you've just gone after what you believed in and you really ended up creating something phenomenal and, you know, there, there you go. So, no, we really appreciate you sharing with this with us. Amazing. So our final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast and that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? The value for me of pursuing my passion has been a real sense of calm and centeredness. I get up every day and am motivated to make the impact that we are trying to make. There are a lot of other benefits that come with running your own company. I can bring my dog to work. (laughs) And there are a lot of negatives to running your company. We work across the US, UK, 
Sri Lanka, Australia time zones, which literally means there's only a couple of hours on Sunday where none of my partners are working. But knowing that we are doing the work that it's going to take to see the world change the way we want it to definitely keeps me going and really keeps me excited and motivated. And for me, that's the life that I want to be living and the way I want to be living it. So that's very gratifying. Oh, I love it. Julie, ladies and gentlemen, we have had a blast. Thank you so much. And where can people learn more about you and Elements T? Of course. So I'm on LinkedIn as Julie Hirsch. Elements T has Instagram and Facebook. At, it's E-L-O-M-E-N-T-S. O for organic or O because we had trademark issues. And we're also, yeah, available in Woolies and Holland and Barrett. And uh, we do Friday giveaways at the moment on our social media to try and, you know, bring a little joy into working from home for everyone. (laughs) So, yeah, I hope you'll join us on there. Amazing. We will link them up in the show notes. Again, Julie, thank you so much. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Cheers. That's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs>